Welcome to Growing Up Beverly Hills. I'm Stacy, And I'm David. We grew up together in Beverly Hills in the 1980s. Forget what you've seen in the movies or TV shows. We have the real stories about real people growing up in Beverly Hills. Here's a little known fact for you. There aren't any talking chihuahuas. <laughs> Beverly Hills folk drop a lot of names of people and places. We just can't help it. Don't worry, we'll explain it all at the end of the interview in the Beverly Hills Breakdown. Enjoy, subscribe, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Whoa, watch out. You got your great music in my amazing food. No, you got your amazing food in my great live music. Hmm, I love it. Me too. There's only one place to get gourmet food with the best live music in town, and that's Vibrato Grilled Jazz. It's owned by our friend Eden Alpert and her father, the great Herb Alpert. They make you feel like a star amongst the stars. You can now dine inside or out. There's live music Friday and Saturday nights, and they have an amazing Sunday brunch with live music too. They have a full bar with imaginative cocktails, beer, and wine. They are located at the Glen Center at the top of Beverly Glen. You can make your reservations at resi.com or directly at vibratogrilljazz.com. Tell them Growing Up Beverly Hills sent you. We'll see you there at Vibrato Grill. We were so happy to catch up with our classmate, Sophia Grant. Yes, we were. Currently, Sophia is the Chief of Medical Services at Riverside County Hospital, where she's the director of the Riverside County Child Assessment Team. She's also the medical director of sexual assault and the forensic team. Sophia's parents are Jamaican, and her father had an amazing journey from living with a dirt floor in Jamaica to becoming a doctor living in Beverly Hills. Sophia talks about her experiences growing up black in Beverly Hills, which was not a very diverse city at all. She also talks about going to medical school at Meharry College in Tennessee, which is a historically black college. Listening to her just really makes me think what a better world we might be living in if everyone could experience living in the majority and at least experience in some way what it feels like to be out of that majority. I got a lot out of this episode, and I hope everybody does too. She's got a lot of great stories, so please enjoy. Sophia Grant, welcome to Growing Up Beverly Hills. We are so thrilled to have you on today. Thank you guys so much for having me. This is kind of exciting. My life isn't that interesting, and I'm surprised that you guys want to hear from me. So uh, I'm happy to talk to you guys today. Well, we are too, and we actually have a lot of reasons. Yeah, Sophia, it's so great to see you. It's been so long. It has been long. I think I saw you at the reunion last time. What was that, 30 year? I don't even think I went to the 30 year. It must have been like the 25 year. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, that was the last time I saw you. Yeah. I went to a mall. So, you know, I like to be seen if I can. Right. No, so they're fun. They're fun. It's so much fun to, you know, reconnect. I love seeing people and seeing what they're doing. And, you know, what I find about, out about the reunions is like the people who had artifice and airs about them, it's all gone. We're just all in our 50s. We're glad to be alive. Glad to see each other. We're happy. You know, it's great. I love it. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Our show is about growing up Beverly Hills. And we wanted to hear a lot of different aspects because people think in Beverly Hills, it's all movie stars and glamour. You were a black family moving into Beverly Hills, not of a movie star family. Your father's not an actor and singer, but your father's a doctor and brought your family to Beverly Hills. And we'd love to hear what that was like. Well, let me start off. It was the 1970s. And I was born in Jamaica, and my brothers were born in America. So occasionally when we were in Jamaica, immigration people used to come and check on my brothers, check their status, and we used to call them Yankees and tell them to go home. (laughs) And then uh, we decided to move to California in 1973, my father, he was the medical director of a clinic in Jamaica in Discovery Bay. He was a very erudite man, and he, he was thinking of getting a master's in public health. So he decided to move to California. And because we, my sister and I were Jamaican, as were my parents, and we didn't have any type of green card status, we had to move to Canada 
to sort out our immigration. And I have a cousin, my, an aunt and uncle who lived in Canada, my cousin, we stayed at her house. So it was my mother, my brothers, and my sister. And we stayed there for about six weeks while everything was being sorted out. How old were you then? I was seven. Oh, okay. So daddy came ahead and he stayed at that hotel off the freeway, off of Sunset, you know, that round hotel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The round hotel. We're still <laughs> waiting for it to be remodeled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I passed it with my daughter. and I say, there's the Cylinder Hotel. We call it Daddy's Hotel because every time we go, um, Daddy <laughs> stayed there for six weeks. And my cousin, she didn't treat us well. She was like really mean to us. She was an only child. She resented having to share her space with oh, her yeah. cousins. And then... When uh, we found out that we were living in Beverly Hills, I didn't know anything. I was just this Jamaican guy. I, it didn't mean anything to me. Right. All of a sudden, she started to treat us differently. <laughs> <laughs> she like, knew. Like, like, I'm like, I didn't know. Why did your parents pick Beverly Hills? Well, education was super important to my parents. And it was, you know, mm -hmm. you could get a good education without having to pay for private a school. Great education. And, great education. You know, four kids in the family. Who can afford that? So we just moved right. to Beverly Hills. We moved to the Horace Mann School District. Mm -hmm. We walked to school. All four of us walked to school. And I remember the first time seeing my breath for the first time because I had never experienced that. Oh, that's right. Yes. You're like, from Jamaica and California was cold. <laughs> <laughs> I had a brother who acted like he was smoking and would blow out. And I'm like, what is like, I, I, I couldn't even wrap my mind around That's that. That's great. Uh, so I was in second grade. It was really a very difficult time for me. It was like, it was a very traumatic experience because for the first time I was different. Mm -hmm. People would tell me I talk different. And I mm. didn't think, I didn't appreciate that I had an accent. And then the, yeah. food, the food I brought to school was different. People used to make fun of me because right. of the food. I remember in second grade crying and saying, I don't have any friends. And oh. then uh, a girl in class said, Sophia, I'm your friend. And I, I, oh. it just, I just felt so pathetic. I think I cried even harder. Oh. But then I kind of, I started to fit in, in terms of academics, because I, I did really well in school. And I started to stand out because of my academic achievements. And I certainly liked that. And yeah. um, mm -hmm. so I was at Horace Mann from second to sixth grade, but we actually moved to the Hawthorne School District oh, when I was in okay. fifth grade. And then I didn't want to transfer to Hawthorne because all the Horace Mann people told me they're snobs. Don't go there. <laughs> Don't go there. So then I was living above the track. But wow. Going, I know, but going to Horace Mann. To Horace Mann. And my mother, like, we did that for a year. And my mother was like, this is enough. I can't take the drop-off pickup. And then I had a brother who was graduating in eighth grade. And I think she they did that so he would graduate right. from Horace Mann. And then for seventh, seventh grade, eighth grade, then we were at Hawthorne. Yeah, these elementary schools that we're talking about, they just go to eighth grade. And then we all funneled into the same high school, which was Beverly Hills High School. And what Sophia is saying is she went to Horace Mann, which was kind of, I went to Beverly Vista and she was went to Horace Mann. We're a little bit more on the south side. We all started below the track. Right. Yeah, right, and right. she moved up to the fancy schmancy elementary <laughs> school called Hawthorne. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I loved Hawthorne. And, I, and I, I was so naive. I didn't think above the tracks. I didn't think you. I didn't think anything of it. And my godfather came to visit, and then he brought a friend. And he, my godfather was Jamaican, and I remember him like bragging about my father saying, yeah, they live in Beverly Hills. They lived in a less affluent area, but now they made, and I'm like, what? I, I mean, I, it, <laughs> that was the first you heard of it? Like, that's like, it didn't make any sense to me, but I was like, okay. But then I, I went to Hawthorne and had a really great time at Hawthorne. 
Now, I will say that when we moved to Beverly Hills, we made the newspaper. I want to hear about that, please. We went to register at Horace Mann, and I don't know if my father went to register his kids and maybe registered us, and then they brought us back for a photo opportunity. (laughs) And the Beverly Hills Courier was there, and my brothers were seated at the desk, like they're filling out registration papers, and my sister and I were at the side, and my father was behind with Dr. West, and it made the paper. And I just thought, wow, everybody knows that my father's really cool. And that's why we're (laughs) in the paper. And it wasn't until much later that I realized we made the paper because we're black. You know, they wanted to show like, look, we have black people. And look, he's a doctor, you know? Right. You know, that's part of the family folklore. Uh, Yeah, we we made the newspaper. The diversity at Elridale was not great. Was that the same at at both elementary schools? Well, I remember at Horace Mann, there was another, I think, another Black girl in my class. I I don't think she was in my class, but she was in my grade. Her name was Tracy. And then Rain Pryor was at the school. Yeah, Rain Pryor went to Horace Mann also. And then we had a couple of kids whose parents were teachers. They got to go to the elementary school. And then, of course, when we went to Hawthorne, let me see, my, my sister was in, in class with, uh, like, Barry Gordy, not Barry Gordy, Barry Robinson, so Smokey. Oh, yeah, Barry and Tamala. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and maybe Barry Gordy's kids, too. And probably Barry Gordy's kids. And that was really it. You know, there really yeah. weren't a mm-hmm. lot of us. The thing about that is that, like, those people were celebrities and I was just kind of a regular regular kid right. you know without any type of yeah. celebrity status pretty incredible those stories and yeah. I know that there's a gajillion more so what was that like when we moved to to the Horace Mann area we were on Lapeer and my brothers they were like nine and ten years old and you know my father bought bike for uh, them and they were stopped by the police I mean, nine and 10 mm-hmm. years old. Uh, like kids. Where'd you get those bikes? Oh, wow. And I mean, how terrifying for a child to, to be stopped by the police. And every Black person who lived in Beverly Hills has a, a horrible story of an encounter with the police. I was stopped by the police. And when they look at my license to see I lived on Maple Drive, they would ask, like, what does your dad do? How can you afford to live here? Wow. My brothers got harsher treatment. You know, they were called the N-word by the Beverly Hills police. And um, once my older brother, he was driving my father's car, which was a Mercedes. And he was questions, how can an N-word afford a Mercedes? How can an N-word? You know, it was, and it was just kind of like these horrific stories that you kind of tuck away and you're, you're traumatized by it. The one time my brother was coming back from a bar mitzvah and it was within walking distance. It might have right. been like Temple Beth Am, you know, right. that one. Yeah. And he he was dressed up in a suit. Oh, my gosh. He was dressed up in a suit. And he, where are you going? Where are you coming from? And another story is uh, we one time my mother, she saw this black boy walking down the street and the police slowed down. And she got out and she said, leave him alone. Leave him alone. He's a boy. He's a boy. And then um, I think at one point my mother went to the police department and said, my name is Jean Grant. I have two black boys and leave right. my kids alone. Don't arrest right. them. Don't harass them. You know, um, yeah. For so your mom. Yeah. It's stories like that, that you kind of, you know, you carry with you. And yeah, they're, they're really, really hurtful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I say about racism is that I'm always disappointed, but never surprised. You know, when these horrible things happen, you're like, I can't believe this stuff is happening. But, you know, well, you know, we're not surprised. You know, the fact that just last week, everybody was on pins and needles, not knowing whether that cop would be found guilty. And we have videotape of the murder. 
Yes. Yeah. And everybody were talking about George Floyd because that just came down. Yeah, and you the know. Poli- the co- police officer was just convicted of murdering George Floyd. Right, and, right. Thank God, the first step in justice, which is, the, which is the very first after all these years. And a lot of these stories, my brothers didn't even tell me. They might have told my parents because it's, it's, it's just so heartbreaking. So it's only in adulthood, my brother would say, yeah, I was arrested and not charged and I was strip searched. And you're like, are you oh. kidding me? Are you kidding me? You know, just because wow. he's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We posted on our Facebook page just a question to the Beverly Hills community about their experiences with the police. And they they were predominantly like, oh, you're doing this horrible thing. We'll just let you go. You know, you're white. Right, right, right. right. And then I remember there was a time my um, my father drove us to the high school in the morning on his way to work. He was making a right turn on Little Santa Monica. And then my father got pulled over. And it's like, well, what did I do? Well, you were obstructing a pedestrian. And it's like, there, there was no pedestrian in the walkway. Anywhere. Right. And then he, he got the ticket. And then the poor man, he thought he could fight the ticket. And he, right. he pulled us out of school, which he never did. He never let pulled us out of school. So we would be witnesses. And he, he brought us to court to testify, to say there was no pedestrian. He was still found guilty, had to pay whatever, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And the, those are the type of indignities that that we suffered, you know, but as mm-hmm. as horrible as that was, you know, it was kind of like external forces. It wasn't the friends or the people that you were with. Sure. So yeah, I... um, but, you know, like when I went to college, I was with Wasp for the first time. And that's mm-hmm. a different type of racism, you know, because. Mm. You know, just going to school with a lot of Jewish people, they tend to be right. more liberal and more mm-hmm. accepting. And then when I was in college, there were assumptions being made about me, assumptions that I was on financial aid, not that there's anything wrong with that, assumptions that, you know, I couldn't afford to be at the school, assumptions. Right. That was really traumatic. Yeah. When I was in elementary school and high school, I was just friends with people who I had gone to elementary school with, et cetera. I didn't seek out black people because we right. had a shared common experience. And so we were mm-hmm. friends. But right. when I was in college and my roommate had, she remembers the first time she saw a black person. Mm. She remembers that I was right. kind of like this anomaly. And I remember when I was going to things with black students, she said, "What? why are you even going to that? We need to have like a white students association. And I'm like, oh my God, are, are you freaking kidding me? And then I said, have you ever been a minority in your entire life? And she said, yes. I said, when? when? And she said, when her father was on sabbatical in London, studying orchids she was the only american (laughs) oh my god i feel so bad those things are so shocking and i didn't have the vocabulary or experience to articulate how ridiculous it was now i'll say we're still friends she's grown a lot but you know it's it's stuff like that and one time in the dorm there was a, we were like sitting around, you know, like the one o'clock in the morning conversations. We were talking about something and the, you needed the perspective of somebody who had grown up well to do. And this kid mm-hmm. said, well, you know, I come from a very affluent community and whatever he went on to say. And I said, you right. know, I really disagree with that point of view. My experience has been blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, where do you live? Did you tell him? Yeah, I said Beverly Hills. <laughs> and you know what? Beverly Hills trumps Pasadena. Heck yeah. <laughs> so he got up and he left. He left. <laughs> he left. Yeah, I was. he was trumped by a black woman and he was trumped by Beverly Hills. There you go, Sophia. Yeah, so in college, I actually sought out black people so we could have a shared common experience. Right. And I wanted to transfer schools, and I wanted to go to Berkeley. Where were you going to college? I went to Pomona College in Claremont, California. Oh, okay. 
Mm-hmm. Really good school. I went to Pomona because they had a very high medical school acceptance rate. And so I knew I wanted to be a doctor beginning when I was eight. Oh, wow. Was that from your parents, from your dad? You know what? No, um, I actually wanted to be a nurse because my godmother was a nurse and she was so kind. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was back in the day where you wore the white uniforms and the white hat. And she just looked so clean and crisp. It was like the 70s. So even though they were in the white dress, it was like a mini dress. With the, you know, the mini nurses. That, that cool nurse's outfit. Mod. <laughs> but, but I wanted to be a nurse. And then we had a housekeeper. And she said, you know what? You can be a doctor if you want. You don't have to be a nurse because you're a girl. And I was like, really? Because the only doctors I had seen were men. The only right. nurses mm-hmm. I had seen were women. And when she told me that, I said, oh, then I want to be a doctor. You know, I, it had never crossed my mind that women could be uh, physicians. Yeah. So I wanted to transfer to Berkeley and my parents, no, no, you're not, you're not going to Berkeley because they were in the United States in the sixties when Berkeley was a bunch of hippies and all of that. So they thought if I went to Berkeley, they thought it was too liberal. Oh yeah. If I went to Berkeley, I would become a hippie and a hippie would, doctor. You know, I would do drugs <laughs> and I would just, you know, join a con. Ruin your life. Yeah. I, yeah. So, <laughs> so they're like, you got to stay. You got to stay. I will say that the most fun I had in college was when I lived in Spain, when I was on Ooh. campus. Yeah. Because I was a Spanish major. Wow. So, uh, that's yeah, great. Yeah. I was a Spanish major. And uh, yeah, I had a ball when I was in Madrid. That That was that was a really good time. Really good time. That's amazing. Let's go back to high school. So what was the transition from uh, Hawthorne to high school like? You know what? It was it was actually pretty good because I still stayed friends with the people I was friends with in elementary school. And then fresh- so both elementary schools. Yes. Uh-huh. Did you reunite with the Horace Mann kids? Some of them, yes. Yes. But then oh, I was still tighter with um, with the Hawthorne people. Because, you know, like two years in elementary school years might yeah. as well be a decade, you know? Exactly. Um, <laughs> That's exactly. what it feels yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> I joined drama. It was called Theater Arts Freshman Year. And oh. I I really loved drama. I, I just, it was so much fun. And I, I just had a wonderful time. And freshman year, I was in Shakespeare Festival. We just had Claudia Wells on, and she yes, was talking about yes, her Shakespeare yes, Festival yes, experience. Yes, it's the same Shakespeare's Festival. That's yeah. great. And I was in a group, and David Schlimmer was in my group. Yeah. And Christine Sheps and Jeff Levitt, and uh, we won first place. Ah, That's congratulations. great. Uh, you know, you, you have to get in, go to the high school early, and then, you know, drive to the location. I told my mother, I'm going to win. I am going yeah. to win. And the thrill was when uh, you won for your category, you got to perform it in front of the entire group of Shakespeare. All the first, I mean, it was thrilling. I cried. I cried so much. They gave me the trophy to take home to hold on to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Did that shake your belief in becoming a doctor? Did you think about an acting career? Well, I mean, I loved it. And I like I'm a frustrated actress, you know, and my kids know I'm very theatrical. And, you know, my kids got into drama. And so like when um, when my daughter was going to, you know, audition, I was like, okay, so what's your motivation? What's the backstory? (laughs) Tell me. And she's like, Mommy, you're you're too intense for me. You're doing <laughs> You're like, but I'm a pro here. I know what I'm doing. You were trained by the best. Yes. But so I did toy with it, but I I wanted to be a doctor more. And what's so interesting is David Schwimmer and I, we met like freshman year. And David mm-hmm. Schwimmer wanted to be a doctor. So we were pre-med oh. in high school. It was like his junior year that he kind of broke off and decided he wanted to be an actor. And I still wanted to be um, a physician. So I, I loved it. It was a great outlet. I worked on costume crew. And oh, what's wow. interesting is my youngest, she's 
won acting awards, uh, directing award, and she's been the costume mistress for her school for, I think this is her third year. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, high school was great. You're probably our first guest who studied a lot. <laughs> yeah. Did you? Yeah. Because you had you had to take all the AP classes yeah. and all that. Yeah, yeah, I was one of those geeks. I did study quite a bit. But the thing is, what's funny is I did a lot of my homework on Sunday night watching Trapper John. <laughs> well, that was training, too. Yeah. I did. I did well. But when I got to college, because Pomona was such, um, uh, you know, an elite school, everybody there was super smart. So you couldn't you couldn't just wing it and get by. So you really Mm -hmm. had to buckle down and learn how to study and really, really stick with it. So, um, you know, and I think that probably contributed to my wanting to leave because being pre-med is like no joke. It is yeah. no joke. Yeah. It's it's so serious and you feel like everything is riding on every single test. People who are pre-med are very intense. They're like, what'd you get? What'd you do? Are you studying? What you know, I don't have that level of intensity. I am not a type A personality at all. In medical school I actually took a test to see are you type A, type B? Most of my classmates were type A. There were a few type B. And I was the only person who like was like type C. Type, and I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, how am I going to get through this? Because I'm not, yeah. I'm not competitive. I don't know that in like that angst, that underlying angst. Well, that might be better. You just might need the drive. Right. So I wondered, like, can I actually do this? But then I did it, and, you know, I'm doing fine. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. I want to circle back real quick because I wanted to go back to your parents because uh, we, we know oh, that your, yeah. brothers, your brothers were both born in uh, California. So my, um, my parents, Jamaican, my parents grew up poor. My mother was poor and my father was dirt poor. Meaning my father, my father, he grew up and his house literally had a dirt floor, dirt wow. floor. But it's yeah. been so compacted over the years that you can sweep it. It gets shiny, you know. And my mother, my mother, she was poor, not as much as my father. He was a lot older than she was. So when she knew him, she used to call him Mr. Grant because he was so much older than she was. You know, back in those days, becoming a law enforcement, a policeman was like, it was a pretty high aspiration from a kid coming yeah. from the country. And remember, my parents were born as uh, British citizens because Jamaica oh, was a British, British, oh, British uh, citizen because uh-huh, okay. Jamaica was colonized. So my father, uh, he was raised by his grandmother and he told her that he wanted to be a cop. And she was like, what type of no ambition, having laziness? And, and my father was like, dumbfounded. Like, what do you mean? Like, that, that's, that's good. And she, 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 she pointed out, you're smart. You can be anything. You can be a doctor. You can, what did you, a cop? So was it just his brains? How do you go from a dirt floor to being a doctor? <laughs> well, he was a smart guy. Imagine growing up, you know, he was born in 1927. And imagine... He learned Latin, he learned French, he learned Spanish in Jamaica. Wow. Was that on his own or he had a good school to go to? Latin might have been taught in school, but Spanish and French were on his own. Imagine teaching yourself that. I can't. can't. And so he graduated from high school and he had to work for quite a bit of time to save up for money to go to college in America because you have to prove that you can pay your way. And so he went to college later and medical school later. And then once he came up to America, he he came up like in 1950 something, he didn't go back down until 1966 because he didn't have money to be traveling back and forth. Right. And Mm -hmm. so daddy, he was, he finished up um, college. He was in medical school and my mother was what, 22 at the time. So she had graduated from high school. 
and she was going to go to college. So back then, Howard University was the school that all the West Indian people went to. Like you could be gotcha. from Barbados, you could be from Trinidad. That was just kind of where you went if you wanted to go to college in America. Okay. So it was very well known and people aspired to go there. Yes, yes. Mommy came up and she had relatives, her aunt who had moved, migrated to uh, New York. And so she came up to New York or she was going to be coming up to New York. And then, uh, you know, just being Jamaican, people send you stuff from Jamaica and you ask one person, can you bring it and pass it along? You know, that type of thing. Right. So right. my father happened to be in New York and uh, my mother's aunt said, you know, Precious, which is what they called her, Precious is coming to Howard. You know, can you can you drive her down to D.C.? And then my father's like, Precious, Precious. Her aunt said, you remember Precious and showed my father this glamour shot of my <laughs> mother. <laughs> like that is precious you know because he just remembered a little girl yeah and this drive was starting to sound a lot better right yeah. right so daddy he went out and he he was driving a used car he went out and he bought a new car a newer used car <laughs> so that when he met my mother she would be impressed i love it he went for it he went for it and by December, they were married. I love yeah, it. Yeah. And they got married in the Howard University Chapel on the campus of Howard University. She made her own wedding cake and she took it to a, a bakery to have them ice it. And then her friends, because these were just like poor college students. Yeah. And yeah. her friends like cooked and they, you know, they, they just, it was like a house party. That's so um, that's, that's, you know, my parents' story. Did they both graduate? Did your mom stay in school till she graduated too? No, no, no. Uh-uh. Because he she was, got married and she moved got married. on. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then he got his residency. He had, fa- he was finishing up medical school and he got his residency and he actually came to Santa Monica where he was an intern. And that was um, 1963. And my father and another physician, Dr. Joseph Gray, were the first black doctors at Santa Monica Hospital in 1963. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Well, that's not surprising because, I mean, they were really in college in the States during the kind of the height of the civil rights movement. Right. And, you know, when I... I always used to ask my parents, like, you don't have any stories of marching, going to anything. Mm-hmm. What? How come you do? You know, and I was kind of mad at them. And they what said, they say? we were on student visas. We could have been right. deported if we got right. arrested, if we got, you know, so Anyth- they, anything. So they were like quiet supporters, but they couldn't really participate. So a lot of the West Indian students weren't, could, they couldn't participate. You know, they supported the movement, but they couldn't participate for fear of uh, being deported. And, you know, like if you come to America from Jamaica and you come back deported, people say, well, what do you go married and you come back? (laughs) You're like a worthless person if you don't come back with something to show for yourself. Of course. Mm -hmm. Well, and it makes such a big impact for other people to go and become a doctor. Right, right. Right, exactly. Why did your dad go back to Jamaica? Like, why were you and your sister born there? Well, he had finished up residency. And he was actually, he did his first year at Santa Monica and his last two years at Riverside County Hospital, where I currently work. A wife told my mother, you know, I saw a job opening in a medical journal for a job in Jamaica. And for a new clinic that's opening, and my father applied, and he got the job because he wanted to go back home. So my mother was pregnant with me at the time, and so we moved back home, and I was born in Jamaica. I was made in California, born in Jamaica. And my, my, my sister is the only true Jamaican because she was born and made in Jamaica. Yeah. so Love that. So what are the age differences between you and your siblings and their names? 
my parents had four kids in five years. My brother was oh, wow. born in 63 and my sister in 68. So it's just like five years age difference. Mm-hmm. So you were at the high school with them all. Yes. Yes, I was. And, you know, uh, one thing, uh, when my when we came to California, my, my brothers were held back a grade. Mm. And because it's like, oh, you're from Jamaica, the education system isn't the same. But I have to point out that, like, you ask a Jamaican child, a nine-year-old, like, about spring, summer, winter, fall, we don't know anything mm. about that. We don't know. Sure. We don't know about how many days there are in a year because you're just living your life. We, mm-hmm. our house in Jamaica was where all the cousins came to hang out for the summer and be kids and run around barefoot and go to the beach. And like my mother would show us plants that you could eat. And, wow. you know, and my father, our house was since daddy was a doctor, people used to come to the house all the time with like a tourist got bitten by a scorpion and daddy would tell us to leave and then the living room would turn into his examination room so like we didn't have those like concepts of like money and change and things like like we were just these country bumpkins yeah i think it was my godfather gave my brothers like five dollars and said okay this is for you guys to share you know what they did they tore it in half because like (laughs) We're sharing the money. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're sharing the money. You know, so right. like yeah. when you, you grow up and you, you don't have those kind of, I don't know. It, it's Greedy just a care, concepts. It, it's just a carefree life. So, yeah. of course, they didn't test well because the concepts yeah. of time and money and change and things like So, yeah, so they were held back. And then my sister and I, we were just in our regular grades. So at one point, all of us were in high school together. That's great. Your freshman year? Yeah. My brother directly above me, he he mm-hmm. would uh, act like he didn't know who I was. And what's his name above you? It's Steve. Steven. Uh-huh. And then your old, uh, and then Rupert, your old brother. Rupert. Uh-huh. So, yeah. And my and they ran track. And they were really... Oh, yeah. I want to hear about... Yeah. Oh, my gosh. My brother was actually in class with Rupert. Yes. And then they went to law school together at UCLA. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. He says hi. 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 <laughs> um, Brian, right? Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. And he did drama, so he must have done drama with you. Yeah. So he was like with David Cohan, that group. Yep. He's still best friends with all those guys. Oh, so my brothers ran track and they were, oh my gosh, they were really fast. I had one brother, Steve, he's he's taller. He ran hurdles and they, they ran the relay. My brother, Rupi, he was, he was the anchor. Wow. The anchor is the fastest person. So I'm, I'm getting chills just thinking about this 40-something <laughs> years later. And um, yeah. he would get the baton, like, in front of us, you know, like on the track where the bleachers are and then the fence. Mm-hmm. He would yep. get the baton, and, you know, they're kind of staggered. And then on the far end of the track is when you see the gap closing and then turning yeah. that corner my brother would always pull ahead and it was the most thrilling thing of my life. And my father would be jump, come on, Prez, come on, Prez. My mom, I mean, all, the entire Grant family, we were oh. there and it was just absolutely thrilling. And then, so when I came to the high school, you know, like coach Sansbury, coach Close, they're like, hey, Grant, you're going to join the track team? And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I can't I'm an run. actress. I can't, I can't <laughs> run. I cannot run. And like, remember, like when you they would make you run Roxbury. Yes. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I was the kid hiding in the bathroom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was that girl. I lived by the high school, so I would run home, oh, spend like twenty minutes playing video uh-huh. games, and then sneak my way back into the right, group. Right, right, and then, I just ditched. I just ditched the class yeah, altogether. <laughs> So I was that kid, okay? Yeah. Well, it it. sounds like all three of us were. (laughs) (laughs) My sister, she came along and she was fast. And she was on the track team, but then she had some like... She ran track. She ran track her first year, but then had some knee problems. So then she became the Mm. track manager. So she was still like cool, you know, the cool athletic person. And I was kind of the drama geek, you know? 
Are any of your siblings a doctor? No, I'm the only one so in the family. So there you go. You're yeah, the doctor. I'm the only one. <laughs> well, you have a lawyer. Yes, my sister is a, a therapist. So, you mm-hmm. know, we kind of well, have that mental health type of thing going yep, on. Yep. So where do you do your residency? After Pomona, I Pomona mm-hmm. just beat me down. Like I mentioned, they have a very high medical school acceptance rate. But the reason is that they make the pre-med classes so ridiculously difficult that if you have, you have to take a math test to Mm -hmm. to get into Mm -hmm. chemistry. So if you don't do well there, you aren't allowed in. I mean, imagine being 17, 18 and being told you don't want to do that. And then when you get into the chemistry class, that you have to do your homework in some type of coding language. And back then, coding wasn't a thing. Right. So so a lot of people went to Pomona with the expectation of becoming a physician, but they made it so difficult that they dropped out. So you might have 85 Mm -hmm. people say, oh, yeah, I'm pre-med. And then your senior year, maybe five people are applying. And Mm. so I was like, my my pre-med advisor would say, are you still pre-med? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, huh. (laughs) Okay, well. Good luck with that. I oh was my like, gosh. what? And so I didn't think I could get into medical school. Right. And so mm-hmm. I I took a year off to because like being in college and applying and interviewing would be difficult. I took a year off and then I interviewed and then I got into Meharry Medical College, which is a medical school in Nashville, Tennessee. I almost oh, didn't oh, apply wow. because it was in the South. And wow. it is mm-hmm. it is a um, historically black uh, medical school founded in 1876. And I had mm-hmm. more fun in my first semester of medical school than I did four years of college. I love that. Yeah. So what was your experience in Nashville then? You know, we were kind of ensconced, our school. So my social, so everybody was there. And so, you know, the, the, the beauty about going to a black school is that you have so many people of the African diaspora. So you could have mm-hmm. African people, you could have West Indian people, you could have American people, you could have your black American princess, you could have the person, you know, I mean, there's just so many, mm-hmm. so many places you could fit in. And I fit in with the West Indian kids. So I was, wow. hanging, I was hanging out with the Jamaicans and the Bahamians yep. and the Trinidadians. And, and so, I mean, I, I had a ball for the first time. I felt really seen. And then I had senior guys wanting to date me. Ooh, and then, yeah. and then you know, fire. when you uh, come from California and you go to the South, everybody thinks like, Ooh, you one of those Cali girls. Like we have some mm-hmm. type of mystique. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think my popularity uh, was helped by the fact that the first party I went to in medical school, I won the limbo contest. Ooh, (laughs) that is very good. Did they know you were from Beverly Hills? No, I I don't. I didn't really advertise that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But Mm -hmm. it did come out. And then people started Mm -hmm. to assume that I had way more money than I did. You know, people like you tell somebody Mm. you live in Beverly Hills and you could live in an apartment off of Arnaz. And if you say, I got a, I know you (laughs) got a Bentley for your birthday. They'd be like real. I mean, you can tell them anything. It's ridiculous. They think you got gold coming out of your pockets. (laughs) Right. So, um, (laughs) but I had a ball in medical school and it was like, I mentioned that pre-med people are really intense and medical school people. Yeah, you can be intense. But the thing is that anxiousness that you have mm-hmm. as a pre-med is gone because you're yeah, there. Yeah, because you're already you're, you're already on the track. You're you don't there. have to worry about it. And right. it, it, mm-hmm. it, it was like I had a ball. It was the first time I loved going to school. I love learning. Oh. It was very stressful because my father died a month before I started medical school. Oh. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And it was like... Uh, you know, I, when I was in gross anatomy, my father died from a, an aneurysm that ruptured. Mm. When we were in gross mm. anatomy, I remember the body next to mine. When we did the head and neck portion and they removed the skull, there was a ruptured aneurysm. Wow. And I just lost it. Mm. I, I, I mean, yeah. it was so horrible. Ugh. 
That's traumatic. Yeah. But I mean, I was able to pull it together. And I mean, like I have wonderful, wonderful friends from medical school. And I mean, it, it was such a joyful experience for me. It was really great. Oh, I love it. Did your whole family travel back to Jamaica all the time when you were a kid? No, we didn't. My parents would go back periodically, but my father had his own practice. So, you know, you really can't up and leave the practice for extended periods of time. So, like, I went back, uh, like, when my godfather died, and then we went back for a family vacation. And then, like, you know, in 1985, my, uh, my mother's sister and I, we went down for the whole summer. So it wasn't, we didn't go down a lot together. It would just kind of be piecemeal uh, in yeah. terms of all of us traveling together. How about your kids? Do you take them? I do. I think it's important to take my kids back so they can see where they come from. So, I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. like the place where my father grew up, it's, it's like there's a main road and then there's a clearing in the bush, like a beaten mm. path. It's called crab hole, you know, like a little crab is going up it. You have to walk up that path. And if it rains, you just slip and slide in the mud. And you walk up about maybe a quarter mile and you see the house where my father grew up. And it's so rural. The kitchen is separate from the house because you're cooking with fire and and wood. So it has to be separate. There's like an Mm -hmm. outhouse you know, and down, you know, a little ways down. And then if you walk down the hill, they're the graves of all of my ancestors on my father's wow. side. So that... Mm. That history is great to show. Them. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's important. I'm surprised it hasn't changed. It sounds like it's kind of stayed the yeah, same. Yeah, it stayed. But like in sometime in the 1970s, there was no, there was no running water. They would have to catch, uh, get water down at the river. Uh, my father mm-hmm. had a tank built to collect the rainwater uh, because mm-hmm. his aunt was still living at the house. I think they do have electricity, but, you know, it's Jamaica, so the power is off and on. You still have to have your kerosene lamps and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's important that my kids know where they come from, know their roots. Yeah. And a hundred percent. Yeah. I think, you know, I call it the old country and I, I just absolutely yeah. love it. Yeah. Pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Pretty incredible. I, I have a circle back quick mm-hmm. question. So did your parents actually have to tell your siblings and yourself growing up what it was like to be black in America? Did they need to ever tell you guys that? Or was it kind of like learning by experiences? No, we were told that all the time. We were told that because, you know, my father would just remind us that we were black and you know, your friends can get away with stuff. You will not get away with stuff. Don't get mm-hmm. caught up doing mm-hmm. something bad because you will be the one that's blamed. It, it was a strict upbringing in the sense that we, you know, like one time I, I had the nerve to say, damn. And my father oh. was like, what did you say? What? Right. Like, you know what? It was a constant awareness of being other and different mm-hmm. And knowing that the rules, we had to operate by a different set of rules. So, you know, these things, when they happen, like I said, it was never shocking. It was always disappointing. But we we had been prepared. It's tough to to carry that baggage and to Mm -hmm. have that awareness. And that's why I think when I went to medical school at Meharry, I didn't have to have that baggage. I didn't like if a teacher didn't like me. I didn't have to ask or wonder, is it because I'm black? If right. they didn't like me, they didn't like me. And it was cool. You know, you, you don't have that kind. You don't have to interpret everything through the, the lens of racism. Mm-hmm. So and it, it was like laying down a sack of bricks. So I think that's why yeah. I was so happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Wow. Sophia, tell us about your life today. Oh my gosh, Um, my life today, right now, I am a board certified child abuse pediatrician. Um, I'm also board certified just general pediatrics. I'm the medical director of the Riverside County Child Assessment Team. So that is the team of physicians and therapists and things like that who evaluate kids. 
with allegations of child abuse and neglect. I'm also the medical director of the Sexual Assault and Forensic Evaluation Program for Riverside County. I specialize in human trafficking. That's my area of interest. You know, when I tell people that I see kids who have been, you know, with allegations of abuse, they say, oh my gosh, I can't believe you do that. Oh, thank you. And, you know, the truth is I love my job. I really love my job. I don't, I don't feel like I am sacrificing anything. I love it because I have to think and learn and I, I get to collaborate and every day is different at work. And I feel like I'm doing good for these kids. I'm giving a voice to these kids who, you know, may have suffered through traumatic events. So it breaks my heart when kids just lose that kind of Mm -hmm. naivete of childhood, you know, and then they're, they're adultified, and they've been exposed to so much. Some of the kids I see have been exposed to way more than I've ever seen in my entire life can't imagine well riverside county is enormous first of all it it is huge it is quite huge so we see i mean we see kids from Blythe. we see kids you know it's Mm -hmm. it's pretty big but um i work with a great group of people it's really joyful work when you work with the right people i'm sure you're making a big difference well i hope so i hope even if i make a small difference that's enough because mm-hmm. you know to make a difference in the life of a child is huge because mm-hmm. you know yeah. that those childhood traumas they don't just happen in isolation you carry them with you and what people don't yeah. realize is when you suffer from trauma in childhood it can lead to alcoholism in adulthood mm-hmm. it can lead to sexual assault inability to keep a job early death obesity mm-hmm. All of those traumas, it's like there's a book called the Bot- Your Body Keeps the Score. All of those traumas are carried in your body and they manifest in various ways that potentially could decrease your lifespan. So um, that's why I yes. think it's so important to, to help these kids. Absolutely. And how many children do you have? I have three kids. My first is an engineer, and she lives in New York. And my second is, uh, he majored in political science, and he's getting ready to do a fellowship up in San Francisco called the Coral Fellowship. And then my baby will be graduating from high school in a month. And she is, oh, okay. yeah, she's going to be going to the school of her Where is she going to school? Our university. They call it the Mecca. Woo-hoo! Yeah, so she's going to be going to school in uh, Washington, D.C. Yeah. Is that something that she had in mind from your father and your mother? I think it was a definite influence. And my first two kids Mm -hmm. were born in D.C. because I was at Georgetown doing my residency. So that's part of our family as well. And then I think she understands the benefit of being with Black people again. I think her generation, they're much more politically savvy. And they're very much into social justice. And Mm -hmm. I think she feels she can make a bigger impact if she has the benefit of being surrounded by people who look like her. And uh, the thing is, she'll find her tribe. She, you know, she might find that she's comfortable with Jamaicans or drama people or, you know, there's just so many people that she can associate with. So I'm really happy for her. And then, of course, to to know that she's at the school that Kamala Harris graduated from. Woo-hoo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. A few years back, we were in a program and it was a living museum and she chose to be Kamala Harris. So oh, um, it. yeah, it's really exciting. Great. Yeah. The hospital that you are director yeah. and you work at, who worked there first? Yeah, my father. So daddy, he was here in what? 64 to 66 and then um so he was a resident making 262 dollars a month and now (laughs) i'm my official title is is chief of medical services and never in a million years would i have thought that i would be in riverside you know you know just just moving outside of the west side is a tough pill to swallow you know Heck, yeah. Gosh, God right? forbid you cross over Mulholland Drive. Oh my God, I know. 
They're like, what do you mean you're in the valley? <laughs> you know, I'm walking the hospital halls where my father used to work, which is so crazy cool. to me. Yeah, it's really, really cool. I love it. Truly. See, that's just amazing, Sophia. There are so many incredible stories that we could learn and grow from uh, by having you on today. Just Thank incredible. You. Thank you. Thank you. David David has more. Uh-huh. <laughs> What's one really over-the-top kind of Hollywood, only could have happened that you grew up in Beverly Hills kind of experience in your life? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I have a really good one. Back when we lived on Maple Drive, our neighbor directly across the street was Paul Newman. Oh. And our house had a white picket fence. The Newman's house had a white picket fence. We had a friend who told her son, oh, can you drop this thing off at the Grant's house? And it's like, what's the address, mom? Well, they're on Maple. They have a white picket fence. <laughs> anyway, he knocked on Paul Newman's door instead. And, you know, there was no security, no nothing. He right. answered the door and he's like, um, uh, I'm looking for Mr. and Mrs. Grant. Oh, they're across the street right there. <laughs> Paul Newman gave my parents a jar of homemade salad dressing before early before on Newman's own. The, the first jar. Yes. And it was it and he told my parents it was an antique like beer bottle, you know, the one with the clip and the yeah. stopper. And uh-huh. we got Newman's own salad dressing before you could buy it in the supermarket. <laughs> yeah. That's so Beverly Hills. Yeah, it, is. <laughs> it, is. it is. It is. Only in Beverly Hills would that happen. Well, Sophia, I can't thank you enough. This has been great talking with you. Okay. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. It's been amazing, Sophia. We love having you on and catching up and seeing your beautiful face. Thank you. So nice to hear from you and all these incredible stories. Okay. Thank you, you guys. Growing up Beverly Hills. Bye. So good to see you, Sophia. Take care. Bye. Welcome to the Beverly Hills Breakdown. Ah, the Beverly Hills Breakdown. We got this, David. What's on tap today? Well, we talked about the lack of diversity in Beverly Hills. And as it stands now, it's about 26% Persian, 5% Latino, 2% African American, and 9% Asian. Wow. Not very diverse. Not at all. We would love, any of our guests that are listening, we would love to talk to somebody that came into Beverly Hills around the 80s from Persia. You know, 1979 was the Iranian Revolution, and a lot of people fled Iran to come to Beverly Hills. And we've been looking, and if anybody knows somebody, please DM us on Instagram or Facebook. We'd love to have that discussion. Then we also talk about the Beverly High reunions. Yay, we love our reunions, David. What's that experience like, Stacy? Well, I went to all of them. I think I've gone to all three of them so far because we did it every 10 years. And they're always so much fun to reconnect with people. We have a big party. I remember one we did at the Roosevelt Hotel, which was just a blast. And we just uh, love catching up and seeing our friends. And gosh, everyone looks better year after year. Really? Even at the 30th? Yeah, you know, some of them surprise you. Okay, I believe it. Do you think they had some work done? Well, it is Beverly Hills, so I'd say there's been work going on for a long time, David. And then Sophia talks about doing drama with David Schwimmer. Well, wouldn't a lot of people have liked to have done that? How cool is that? And they seem to have been good friends, and she mentions that David actually wanted to be the doctor. Yeah, I was thinking about that. If you just had gone in and David Schwimmer was your doctor instead of the guy from Friends, well, he'd probably make a great doctor, too. He probably would have made a great doctor. For sure, for sure. Well, that's all I have for the breakdown. I just love talking with Sophia. Can't wait to see her in person. It was a blast. And again, we had such a great time talking to Sophia. And we look forward to keeping our conversations going and expanding our horizons. So we'd love to hear from different people and keep having fun on Growing Up Beverly Hills. And remember to eat at Vibrato Grill Jazz and make your reservations at their website or at Resi.com. 
For sure, for sure. Let's just keep having fun. Spread the love and spread the joy. And tell everyone about Growing Up Beverly Hills on Instagram and Facebook and wherever you can hear podcasts around the world. Talk to you next time. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye, David. Bye. So suicide has personally affected my life. And we like to mention at the end of our show that there is help for everybody out there. You know, I think everybody's going through a tough time now. And we don't want anybody to take their lives. Especially during this COVID situation, uh, we've all been experiencing depression and hard times. Things can always get better. Everything bad now can get better. Everything can get better, and there is a lot of help out there. So please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. There is always help. It doesn't hurt to call, so do that. You don't have to do this alone. There's always help.